0: We're going to be looking at Romans uh, 6, we're really going to be verse 15 through 7, 6, and we're talking about slavery to sin has ended for the rescued, slavery to sin. Uh, it's almost as though Christians need to be saved twice. Uh, we keep talking about my sins have been paid for, my sins have been paid for. And we look back to the cross. We look back to the resurrection of Christ. And what a glorious truth that is. My sins can and have been paid for. Amen? But here's the issue my sins have been covered, but I don't know that I've got any freedom from indwelling sin. I'm still a sinner. I'm justified even while I was ungodly. So he didn't make me brand new in my uh, character. That was a free gift right from the get-go. Then God begins to change you and make you into the image of his son, and we start the Christian life journey. And so we want to look at three things by the way of review, the principles he's laid down, And then we're going to look at two illustrations or two analogies he uses to illustrate the present Christian life. The analogy of slavery and the analogy of marriage, death, and remarriage. And we want to look at this. Let me just, by way of review, uh, let's see what verses 1 through 10 say. There's not one command to do anything in verses 1 through 10. They're they're all matter-of-fact. Did you know, are we to continue in sin now that we've been justified by faith through Christ alone so it doesn't matter how I live? And Paul anticipates the question, and he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And this is the reason why. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And you're thinking, boy, I'm sure struggling with a lot of it. Uh, or don't you know, and they didn't, and most of you don't know. When he asks a question of the Bible, I don't want you to be ignorant. Guess what? They're ignorant. When he asks you, don't you know? Guess what? Most people don't know. So let me let you in on something that you never knew before unless you've read Romans over and over and got it in you. Now listen to what he says. Or don't you know, no I haven't Paul, but go ahead, that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life And this is the emphasis. The emphasis is not we're going to go to the cross. Now we're going to go to a resurrected Christ. You've been saved to live out the resurrected life of Christ. The cross paid for my sins, paid for my sins. How am I now then to live? I am to live as though I'm in the third heaven in Christ. Colossians said, set your way of thinking, on things above where your life is in Christ. So we're called to live a heavenly life in a hellish world. Now watch verse 5. Watch this. Since we've been united, we're in union with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. I don't believe he's talking about your physical future resurrection. I think he's talking about your resurrected life with Christ right now right now. Physical resurrection's coming, but guess what? I've been called to a new life that is up there. My life is up there. Amen. That's what he means. For we know that our old self, the old man, was crucified with him so that the body of sin, the instrument of sin, might be rendered powerless. Whoa. You, wait. My body will now be rendered powerless, maybe unavailable, uh, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because God pulls you out of the socket to sin. It, the power source of sin is ended for the believer. It's there. Sin remains in you, but it will not, it must not reign over you. And he uses a word for kingdom, basilea. And he used the word for Lord two times. It will not boss you. It will not rule you. You are not under the kingdom authority of sin. Why? The cross broke that power, and the resurrection of Christ guarantees if God can raise his son, he can defeat indwelling sin. Well, this would be great if it's true. Is it true? We should no longer be slaves to sin. All you need to do as pastor for so many years or just be around Christians, defeated, discouraged. Uh, sometimes the Christian life seems like the most miserable thing they've ever discovered. It's why it's so hard to evangelize. When you're miserable being a Christian, it's hard to evangelize. You need what's making me miserable. Uh, the one guy was doing this at a rescue mission in Houston, and he kept trying to invite, come in here, come in here, Jesus saves. And these two guys sarcastically said, will we get what you've got? Yeah. I said, no thanks, man, we got enough problems. We're going to get drunk because his face didn't advertise he was really happy to be saved. How about you? How about me? And he says, just as a matter of fact, if you've died, you've been freed from sin, free from sin, free from sin. Now, since we died, we believe we also will live with him. Okay. Now, what do you want me to do about all this? He finally moves to some imperatives. This is what I want you to do in response. Number one, I want you to count on it, that I'm not lying to you. Just count on it. Reckon on it was the old King James word. Reckon on this. Live your life. Uh, God, if you say it, I believe it. I'm going to live like that. I'm going to live like what you said is a fact. You made it happen at the cross. You made it happen at the empty tomb. If you said it, I think I could believe you. Can you believe that is your history in Christ? That's what he's saying. He said, well, I don't know if that's true. Well, it is true. But it won't become experientially yours until you reckon on it. You've got to, you've got to count on it. You've got to count on it. I reckon I am really. I'm dead. I'm dead to sin. But notice, you're not totally dead. He doesn't want a corpse. Watch count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here it is. I'm dead here. I'm alive here. Or well, which are you? I'm both dead and alive. You know what I, I think it's like? It's a lot like selective hearing. Do you know what I just said? <laughs> Every husband has selective hearing. The game's on, and she's yelled out three different things for you to do. I didn't hear you. Oh, yes, yes, you did. You were paying no attention to her, you know. And she said, you need a hearing aid. She said, no, no, I need the Warriors to win. <laughs> and, and your kids are the same way. Did you hear me? I said, clean that bed. I didn't know, Mom, that you said that. Well, you, you know everything else. <laughs> you know every other voice. you're That's called salam. Selen- I'm dead to doing what you're telling me to, but I'm alive to having fun, doing whatever. So he says, I want you to start acting alive to God the Father. Are you living your life alive? Then he goes, verses 12 and 13, and he says, I want you to stop putting your body at the disposal of sin and start putting your body at the disposal of God. Now, when he says that, that's so clear, he said, you know what? By the way, I want to let you in on something. And this had to be hard, hard on the Jewish audience. By the way, in this new life, the law has no jurisdiction. You will be governed By grace principles. Let's see. Uh, For sin shall not be your master. Why? Not only have you died with Christ, because you are not under law, but under grace. Hmm, What is that? Look at verse 15. He picks up the argument. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now, get the distinction here between law and grace. Daniel Webster used to say, if I tell you to do something and there's no penalty for disobedience, I just gave you advice. I didn't give you a law. Because law always brings penalty. To be under law before God is, you will be penalized if you break it. Under grace, God says, This is not a system of penalty. I won't change you with penalty. Penalty has already been covered for you at the cross. 8.1, I didn't save you to condemn you. I did not save you to put you under condemnation. So get that in your head, church people, religious people, religious Jews, cut it out. No rules in the Christian life by which you get penalized. No divine penalty. He, you're in a household, there might be discipline, but it's nothing like judgment. Since you don't get it, and this is what he's going to say, he's going to give us two illustrations. Verse 19, he tells you why he uses the illustration of slavery. Watch this. I put this in human terms, Because you are weak in your understanding, in essence. You don't comprehend what I'm saying. So let me use a weak illustration. Let's use slavery, okay? And so he sets it up this way. Here's sin as a master. Here is Jesus Christ as master. And he says, you are the slave to whoever you put yourself at their disposal. And if over here you say, I'm at your disposal to carry out any of your desires, any of the works of the flesh, you can count on me. I am available. He's going to tell "said let me tell you what happened when you did that, and we all did it before we were believers. But now the same way your body was available for sin I want it to be available to Christ. Is that asking too much? Okay, watch. Watch what he's going to say. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form, the type of teaching to which you were entrusted. We gave you a gospel that not only deals with your sins, but tells you there's power in the new life to deal with indwelling sin, that you no longer have to be run run by it, dictated by it it's uh it's like you never had a will in the old life. you were just mastered by sin you were like the uh uh it's like the great illustration do you have free will? yeah, you got a free will if you call it free but but see you got a nature you you sin because you like sin sin feels good when you're a sinner uh but it's like this, as a lion, you kept eating meat, and as a sheep, you ought to be eating grass. And if we throw filet mignon out to sheep, they just don't eat it. Why don't they? They choose in keeping with their nature. They have no appetite for meat, right? Right? You're a quiet bunch. Say, you know, I I set my clock too. You can wake up a little bit. Uh, The lion can starve to death with a bale of hay in front of it. See, you choose in keeping with your nature. I heard R.C. Sproul say one time, oh, it's not we don't believe you don't have a will. You've got a will. You just don't want what God wants. Get over it, God. I just don't want what you want. Because I'm acting out of my sin nature. It's in my nature to choose those things, feel that way. But now that you're in Christ, you're freed, and and he's giving you a divine nature. He's regenerated you by his Spirit. So he's saying, uh, just as you kept offering your body as an instrument of sin, why don't you start doing the same thing to God? I mean, uh, and and what do we beg for all the time? You know, we beg for workers in the church. We need Sunday school teachers. We need this. We need that. And and that that's okay. But you know, here's the thing that ought to be: uh, the word "present your body here." It's a Greek word that means put yourself at God's disposal. Put yourself at another's disposal. Let me ask you this: Is your body at God's disposal? That's why Romans 12, I beg you, present God to God your body. I, I beg you. God wants a body to work through, and so does sin. But I saved you to get you out of the sin camp. All right, let's keep following the illustration. Uh, verse 20. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to what? Impurity, ever increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness, set-apartness for God. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've you've been set free from sin, you've been set free from sin, you've been set free from sin, He said it back to verse 7. You've been freed from sin. That is our gospel. Not just He forgave me my sins, forgave me my lying, forgave me my cheating, forgave all the stupid sins I did that were bringing death in all my relationships. Hey, now you're saved. Stay miserable because there's no power to live it. It's a life of defeat. You can't overcome sin because, you know, that's the way God made me. No, no, he crucified way, the way you landed. He had to crucify his son to get you out of Adam. He had to crucify his son to get you free from the law. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And this, this isn't talking about eternal life in the future. It's the quality of life that is God's right now. Watch. For the wages of sin, of the sin principle, in always pays in death. Sin <coughs> uh, all you want, but get ready to pay. It always pays in ashes. It pays in death. That's, that's what kills us about watching our young people picked off by sin. Because sin always polished its apples. It always looks good. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you will keep, put your body and your members at the disposal of this risen Christ, uh, you will experience eternal life as a way of life, divine life, not death. It'll be living relationships. It'll be joy. It'll be peace. It'll be the life of God will be experienced by you while you're on the earth. And so the Christian life, we used to sing a song uh, years ago. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. When I grew up, we learned so many songs. They were happy songs. We used to sing in this church, uh, John Peter says, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Uh, wow, glory filled my soul. It's the best thing going, better than any party you ever went to. And you look back at some of those parties and, oh, we blasted our mind. You sure did. And you didn't have much to blast. <laughs> but, oh, we had a blast. What, what, what did you come home with? How many wounds? Oh, we always have a fight. Yeah, isn't it just wonderful? You come over here, it's peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Peace and joy in God. Almost sounds boring, doesn't it? Until you've lived a life of hell and sin and bondage and brokenness and death. It's the greatest thing God ever offered us sinners. Life in Christ. Freedom. 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 Now he's going to go into another illustration about this whole thing. We're not under law but under grace. Now he goes and starts talking about marriage. Look at this. Marriage, widowhood, remarriage. Do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, so he's certainly got his Jewish audience in mind, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. It, it, the, the corpse isn't bothered by the speed limit. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Going to the law of Moses' Torah. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law And it's not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Okay. What are we talking about here? Here's the illustration. He gives the illustration. In verse 4 through 6, he's going to apply it to the Christian life. What's the picture? I'm married to a man. Good or bad. He may be a good man, a bad man. Most likely he's a bad man because he's likening him to the law. That, in a way, the law is good and righteous, but it made me miserable. It was a miserable marriage because the law always reminded me I didn't measure up. I remember counseling a woman in this church years ago that was married to a perfectionist. And... uh, uh, I thought she was a beautiful woman, a talented woman, a uh, vivacious, uh, joyful kind of person. And, uh, but this guy she's living with could not appreciate her. And uh, he did things like this, and I know, this is true, this happened in the, he would come home from work, and this is what they're saying in counseling, uh, and He would come home, and since he was a clean freak, he would run his hand over the (laughs) fridge, and if there was any lint or dust, he'd start lecturing her. You know, like you mothers with a bunch of children, you keep the lint off the (laughs) fridge. You know, that's on your to-do list every day. And and he would do this, and, and he would do, and then He would just start chewing on her. This, that, she could never do enough to please him. And so they divorced. And um, one of the worst, most foolish decisions he ever made. See, it's hard to be married to perfection. And the law was perfect. So the law became a cruel husband. Just because I, I just can't measure up. I just can't measure up. I can't measure up. So what, what has God done? Now listen to what he says. So my brothers, you also died to the law. In the illustration, the husband dies, but here he's saying we died through the body of Christ. So we're free from the first husband, as it were. That you might belong to another To him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Hmm. I died to the law. I've been raised from the death. I died. And now the purpose for my life is bearing fruit for this new husband. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The law can neither justify you nor can it sanctify you. The Christian life is faith and Holy Spirit, reliance on God. God didn't save you to keep a bunch of rules. He already found us guilty of breaking them all. Why would he want to save you and start measuring you now by all the rules? You're not under rules. So that means you can live any way you want. He's making the argument. No, no. (coughs) No. But the thing changing you is not a rule, but a relationship. You've been put into a new relationship. You went from law. You went from those demands. And you've moved over, and you belong to Christ. And he uses a phrase here that I don't think we get. I I don't think I got it for years. Watch this little phrase. Why did you join me to this other one? Notice verse 4 that we might bear fruit to God. So when you get married, you buy an apple tree. How do you bear fruit in marriage? Relationship. Relationship. Do you need family ed at this time? that let's go back these times. No birth control. Large family was not a curse. It's a blessing. Still is if you can afford it. But the idea is when you were in intimate relationship with this husband and you were an available bride, inevitably, She says, honey, I'm pregnant. You say, well, how did that happen? (laughs) She said, well, it's a little late. What rule did you keep? What what, what rule? No, I'm saying almost paradise. (laughs) I'm knocking at heaven's door. The last thing I thought was paradise, and now I hear the baby crying. I made myself available to this risen Christ. And he says, through intimacy and available to me, I'm going to bear my fruit through you. And he's not talking about the vine and the branches here. He's talking about a marriage and having children in a marriage, having fruit in a marriage, which was usually children. And they're not brought about by reading a rule book. They're brought about by being available to your heavenly bridegroom. That's why some of you aren't bearing inner fruit. You're not in his arms. You've not made yourself available. You've become a, a bride that, ah oh, ah oh, oh, I don't want you. You know, Carolyn and I are on this new regimen. I have not achieved it yet, but she read somewhere that you ought to have seven hugs a day as a couple. Ever since she said that, it's been a burden. (laughs) I'm up to three. I, I, I feel bad in the night feeling her hugging me when I'm trying to sleep. I'm over there. I wish. I'm sorry. I'm lying. But, you know, I never thought, and pretty soon you start counting, it is amazing how little you hug in marriage. How many of you hug your wife seven times a day? One, two, don't (laughs) lie. I mean, just hug. Not trying to get them any other place, but you just hug. I mean, it all just happened, right? Does it? Thank you for that honesty there, Matt. It'd be like this. If we made a rule that I had to kiss my wife four times a day, would that increase kissing? I can't hear anybody. <laughs> I would resent every kiss. I, can you imagine? Look at this. You come home. Hello, wife. <laughs> the state, Gavin Newsom, perhaps in California, I have to kiss you four times a day got that baby over. (laughs) I fulfill my obligation. And then she's saying, do you love me? (laughs) Oh, what's that got to do with it? I got to keep the law. The law. The law. The law. You can't bear fruit to God under the law. Until you get rid of the rules and say, where is love, joy, peace, goodness, Gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control. Where is that? It's only born in relationship to this heavenly, heavenly husband. And the Spirit, he's always pushing me to Christ, pushing me to Christ, telling me, what's your excuse for not making yourself available? Would you like to bear fruit unto life? You bore enough fruit unto death why don't you start bearing something that's living? What do you have to show for all your years in sin? Come on, show me. Let's let's get it up here. We'd have a pile of ashes, a pile of broken relationships, a pile of regrets, a pile of pain. Why? Why were you more available to sin than you're willing to be to your God? Come on, some of you just you're saved and say I'm forgiven. Well, All right, that's the cross. We believe the gospel. But are you bearing fruit right now? Are you bearing fruit? It only comes when you make yourself available to this wonderful Savior. And, you know, I, I imagine if I was using the analogy, the old husband was critical, demanding, uh, didn't know how to treat you. Uh... uh when the babies came and uh, the stretch marks from the burying that baby in the travail of birth. Oh, no, no. Oh, your figure isn't what it used to be. All that kind of stupid stuff by which men say, uh, I've had men tell me if she doesn't lose weight, I don't know if our marriage can keep it up. Well, what does her weight have to do with your love? I'm meddling No, no. You mean you, you she weighed 100. You can't love her at 200. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not married to that kind of a Christ. You're married to a Christ. I know everything you'll ever be or become. I love you forever. <laughs> and you won't ever be lessened. You won't ever be lessened. What bothers me about that, husband, we're supposed to emulate that kind of love to our wife. Don't make her feel bad that she bore the children for you and now maybe doesn't have the figure she had at 20. All oh, the sensuous, external, physical world that really forgets the true value of this person. And so God says, you're free in Christ. You're free to choose. You see, before Christ You had lost your will, as it were. You were in bondage in the prison of your sin. Now, he says, I'm going to give you a freedom of choice. I freed you that you can choose. Only Adam and Eve and my son were born on the earth with freedom of choice. You lost it in the fall. But I want to restore it to you in Christ. Now you get to choose because I don't want to force myself on my bride. I will not force myself. I would just simply come. If you'll get in my arms, as it were, we'll raise a family together. We'll bear fruit together. It's not rules. It's relationship. All right. I want to let anyone that has a question about anything I've said, take it 10 minutes. If you got questions, do you understand, don't understand? Otherwise, yeah, thanks, so let's do that. And if that one decoy that I gave you a question to ask, you can ask it now. <laughs> Is there any question about what's been said? Do you understand what's been said?
1: Okay, Jim. Now, uh, Pastor, could the bearing of fruit also refer to uh, evangelism
0: i think it would include it i think that's a that's a good analogy romans 15 he talked about fruit in the realm of evangelism so i think it would in, may, maybe effectiveness in every way for god whether evangelism character as in the fruit of the spirit it's a good question because hopefully you'd make them hungry to have what you have <laughs> because they see this a loving relationship going on. Sarah. Hi, Pastor. Um, So in this passage, it talks about that we're now dead to sin and alive to Christ. I hear the phrase a lot, um, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah. Which seems to me like, well, I'm still defining myself by my sin as a sinner. But it seems like this passage is saying, that's not who I am anymore. I'm dead to that. So do you think that that phrase is
1: legitimate or?
0: I think it's legitimate if you're saying, I know what God started with, a sinner. He started with me as a sinner. He declared me righteous. But I think you make a good observation I should start saying, I am a new creation in Christ. I'm out of the old man. I am not what I used to be. I, you know, that's what bothered me when uh, I would hear in the 12-step program, I am a drunk, and the idea you got, I always will be. You know, because you're going there, my identity is my addiction. Uh, but First Corinthians says we could say, I was this. But I've been washed, I've been cleansed. So there ought to be a change. Uh, I think it was Luther who said the phenomena of Christianity is that we're sinners at the same time we're declared righteous, and that's true. We're always aware. I think what we do, Sarah, we're so conscious that sin remains in us that sometimes we guys say, "Well, I'm not sinless." I'm still, de- I'm just a sinner, saved. so I think it's legitimate, but in our minds, we need to switch over here to Romans 6, is this who God sees you as now, or does he see you united to a victorious Christ, and so instead of maybe wallowing, wallowing in my sin over here with that little phrase, we ought to say, but I am, uh, I've died to sin, and I'm alive in Christ, And I think we ought to get to the alive. He's not on the cross. Where is he? He's a resurrected Christ up there. And that's where the passage says, I am. So quit hanging out at the tomb. Get to the ascension.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Pastor, for the message. I might be jumping a little bit ahead, but uh, like when we talk about slavery, there was a saying saying that if they only knew they were slaves, um, what about sin? If we did not know we were sinning before, um, how do we become free from sin if we didn't know we were sinning to begin with?
0: Most people, it doesn't take long to convince them that they are sinners because of the the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, that, but I think the big thing is I know, you, you wouldn't think of it as slavery. It's just who I am. It's what I like to do. And so he's using a paradigm from God's point of view. They're doing what they're doing because they're a slave to it. They made, themsel- and he's just, they made themselves available to do it. Uh, and so that it doesn't take too much. It's, you are what you do. And God says most of what we did outside of Christ was sin word thought deed we were available to sin and that just was our life and god started saying hey i put you in christ to be available to him and uh, i want you to start acting like the new man acting what i made you to be you're not a slave to this anymore cut it out cut it out so i, I think you i love what he said in uh, 617 this kind of teaching he said set you free. Most people maybe have never been taught the freedom that were granted in Christ. Pastor, to your left, friend named David's got a question. Okay,
1: David, then we'll go. Yes, Pastor. My question come from uh, Romans 6, verse 22. Okay. That you just mentioned. Verse 22 said, but now you have been set free from sin, and have become slave to God. Is it fair to say that now we have become the righteousness of God? That word slave, can we translate that word slave as a righteousness of God? Now I have become the righteousness of God?
0: I'm now, as I was a slave to sin, I'm now presenting my body, and he's using the analogy, And whoever I present myself to, we're going to call him a slave to keep it it with his illustration. But in this slavery, I produce righteousness that produces holiness that manifests itself in eternal life. So he's saying, why don't you get in the life business and quit giving yourself to the sin business? Okay. So that righteousness, I think, (coughs) is not justification but a, a, a holy life. that you, I'm doing things right and it results in holiness. And holiness means set-apartness to be clean. I, I'm clean. I'm clean. Okay. My dad said you, you can't handle skunks without smelling like
1: okay. them. And you, you smell also said, like the
0: sin you're doing.
1: And you also said we're not bearing fruit because we are not in, in his arm we like a bride that's far, far away. Yep. And just listening to you, the scripture came to my mind on John chapter fifteen, uh, verse. Uh, he said, "I am divine, and you are the branch. No branch can bear fruit itself." So, like you said, if we connect to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and he's the vine and we the branch, that's the only way that we can bear fruit and the fruit of
0: And look, with illustration, the, the, the branch and the vine, connection, connection. You got to be in connection. Now, we come over here with this marriage analogy. You got to be available. You've got to be available. Uh, pregnancies don't happen in unavailability. <laughs> Distant. We're married. She's in that bedroom. I'm in this one. We have meals together. Oh, no, no, no. It, it uses that term. Uh, you've been saved to an intimate relationship with the risen Christ. He's not trying to get sex-minded or procreation, but that is in that relationship there, the only one that applies procreative relationship come out of a soon loving available relationship. So one I'm connected to the vine. Over here I'm connected to the head. And as a result we have love children. And it's fruit of the Spirit Christ, Brandy. I'm thinking about this question just based on maybe trying to evangelize an atheist. So in 614, it says, For sin shall not be mastered over you, for you are not under law but under grace. So that makes sense to a Jew. But how does that correlate with a Gentile or a, a pagan? I think he would say, uh, you, you've been using too much marijuana. <laughs> he wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't have. A, I think what you do with that unsafe guy. You stay in Romans one through three. This is Christian life. This is how the Christian life. It's like talking to him about election. Does the Bible teach election? Yeah, sure it does, all over. But man, let's have the wisdom that we're not talking to them about that back here, as it were. Let's present the gospel and their fallen condition. Pick our subject matter. And so I think this is Christian life truth, which most Christians don't understand or have been taught. I sure never was. And so I think, you, hey, now that you're in Christ, let's discuss what that life is to look like. And the, the atheist guy, he's got a much bigger problem than the Christian life truth. Yeah. What was that? There, there, then we'll stop.
1: Good morning, Pastor. Can you please elaborate on uh, um, building uh, fruit and planting a seed? Say that again. Um, We were talking about um, creating fruit for God, right? And planting seeds. Can you elaborate on that? Are we as planting seeds and walking in the path of God,
0: bearing fruit for him? Well... We find out, let's say, in Galatians that bearing the fruit of the spirit is walking in reliance. Walk in the spirit and you'll bear this kind of fruit, the ninefold fruit of the spirit. Uh, And so in that analogy, it's, of course, agriculture, the vine and the fruit. So that uh, it's a life of relying, a life of relationship. The fruit of our life comes out of our relationship with Christ. Are we sharing our body with sin? Are we sharing our body over here, the shared life, <coughs> the shared life with Christ, he guarantees he's going to bear fruit through you, change character, uh, maybe evangelism, Christian servants. You're going to bust out some way uh, because I love what Paul said in uh, Philippians 1.20. Uh, he, right in there he said, I want Christ to be, and you can really translate it this way, to be seen as magnificent in my body. So he said, whether to live or die doesn't matter to me. But if I live, I'm going to live for Christ. And then he goes on, to make him magnificent. And so that is the witness. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're praying for souls to be. Most of us in this place have been saved a long time. I'm thinking about making a friendship Sunday once a month where I want to see if you've got enough influence to bring any friends. Because uh, we ought to become contagious. You usually have to run a temperature. (laughs) And if we're lukewarm, you can't infect anybody
1: better hush up on that okay pastor I, I know that the scripture is clear on that we are under grace and not law but is there a difference between the law and a commandment and the reason I ask because Jesus says if you love me keep my commandments yeah. so sometimes I struggle I know we are under grace yes. and not law but but yet I know Jesus said if you love me, keep my commandments. So, good. is there a difference between good?
0: Absolutely. <coughs> I think there's about 150 commandments in the New Testament. You know, imperatives. Stop lying. Start doing. And so you say, "Oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not under the law." No, law of Moses was strictly do it or penalty, penalty. And Christ, He never gives. No, He just said. What comes first, love or obedience? Ah, ah. You ought to first get in love with him. Then First John 5 says, you'll find his commandments are not burdensome because you're in a yoke that's easy. And boom, so everything you're commanding begets a quality of life and a quality of living that I've never known. It's just like, eating a cupcake. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And so the commands are there because we need boundaries. We need we need guidance uh, what to do. Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Hey, all my young people, I want them to know, don't go marrying an unsaved guy. Amen. Say, Amen. well, why did God say that? He's trying to protect us, guard us, uh, give us a quality of life that you know, it's wonderful. So there is that's a good question. You got it, John fourteen, right through sixteen, and these commands, but there's not penalty. There's no threat of penalty. And it becomes family training and uh by the time he gets through us, his commands look real sweet. Because he lets us have enough pain and doing it our way. Sinful. You know, wouldn't you sin more if you could enjoy it more? I mean, when you become a Christian, you can't get away with squat. I mean, the spirit's in there. He says, you know, uh, my dad used to tell his kids he drank all the beer he wanted, cussed all he wanted, and then when we were all outraged at the table, he said, but I don't want to. Sin all you want. Believer, wait. I, what did he say in Romans 6? I've got a list of things I regret that I did when I was giving my body to impurity and wickedness. Man, I've done enough sin for a lifetime. When are you going to start doing what's righteous? Holy. You've been called to a new life. And now you'll have something that won't be death, but will be life. I tell you, I want to get saved again just over Romans 6. I've been called to bear for something that has the quality of eternal life. Wait, do you wait? I want you to pray about this. I don't don't respond. Does anyone get it? Just kind of nod your head. Hey, I know you're awake. Do you get what he's saying? He's moved from justification. He's now moved. This is the Christian life. You know what's an amazing thing? My brother, my family were all smokers. I moved in with him one. I first came up here. I couldn't pay rent over three months. So he said, you live with me. And uh, it worked out great because he got Kevin Shay. I was going to live with him because I said, man, there's too many of us. And after he and Kevin painted the house, I decided I should live with him. Uh, and that was just a real blessing. So I had a clean house. I didn't want it to be dirty. And so I move in while I'm living with him, Havana cigars, cigarettes. From young, I mean, my brother Paul started at age nine. My folks bought him his cigarettes. My family was smokers, chewers. My dad grew up with Indians. They dipped, they chewed, they spit, you know. I mean, an iron worker, they all lived on that kind of stuff. He tried to break it. He he tried to quit. I didn't know he was trying, but he did. But he's defeated. He was defeated. We had a men's Bible study in which we studied Romans 6. And, and the next morning, we were going to go golfing with a guy named George Williams. He used to be in the church then. And George was an early bird. He He's he picking us up about seven. And so David and I in the car, he had to stop by a store to do something. I said, David, don't light up. This guy will go ballistic. This guy's a non-smoker, and he, he's built like a tank, and he'll tell you in a minute, you can't smoke in my car. So I said, please don't go there. And David, now this is 7, about 7.20 in the morning. He said, well, don't you know? I said, don't I know what? He said, I quit. I'm thinking, I've been living with you, and you've been lighting up the house. I mean, my poor kids are all getting cancer from Havana cigars. (laughs) And I said, you quit? 7.30 in the morning? He said, I just heard last night that I've died to that. I quit. You talk to him after the service to see how many years it's been since he had a cigarette. Not by a rule, but by a relationship. God bless you. You're dismissed.